This is the Property Solopreneur Podcast, and I'm Rachel Troughton. I'll be talking about everything you need to create wealth by building your portfolio in a sustainable and profitable way. I'll be sharing the realities of a property investing business. I'll talk bricks and mortar, buy to let, HMOs, flipping and planning game, as that's what we all enjoy doing. But I'll also share how to use good systems, processes, and find the right professionals to work with. In fact, everything that will enable you to become a successful property solopreneur. Hello, and welcome to this week's episode of the Property Solopreneur. And this week, I'm talking to Nicole Andan, who is a leadership trainer. And before you say, and what's that got to do with property? I think it's got a lot to do with this. She's a leadership trainer for the UK defence industry and therefore has to train all sorts of people with different skill sets to work effectively with each other for the common goal, no matter what their background, sex or education skills are. In fact, her mission is to empower women leaders who don't fit the corporate norm to lead with authenticity so they can break through to their next level of success and freedom. Well, take women out of that statement and put in property solopreneur and bingo, that's all of us. Because I haven't met that many property solopreneurs or any kind of property person, actually, who is 100% corporate. We all have our little differences and quirks. And very few of us enter the world of being a solopreneur with all the necessary skills needed. And some come from right at the top of corporate world where they're massively overqualified in the managing skill sets and not about the individual leadership ones. And as Nicole is very keen to point out, managing and leadership are two very different skill sets. And as solopreneurs, we all think we're doing it on our own. I mean, that's the whole point of being a solopreneur, isn't it? Dream on. You know, We outsource, we run remote teams, and some of us manage teams in different time zones. I mean, that's pretty epic, really, if you think about it. And to be really effective, we've got to lead, we've got to be the CEO. And sadly, this does not come naturally to all of us. Leaders have to make hard decisions and then action them. Tricky for some of us, who may be much happier actioning the decisions of others to the best of our abilities. But this is our company. We are going to have to make the hard decisions. But in our own property businesses, we have to lead ourselves to hit those goals and those dreams. We just don't have the ability, because we work on our own, you know, to feed off other people's oomph and enthusiasm around the water cooler, because the water cooler doesn't exist for us. Now, Nicole is used to dealing with everyone in the defence industry, from the battle-hardened general right down to the newest of computer geeks. So she is very straightforward in the way that she talks and is very direct. You won't agree with everything she says. But I'm sure you'll find several nuggets that you can not only relate to, but implement to make leadership rather than management decisions within your business. Well, thank you so much, Nicole, for coming today to talk to me about what you actually do in your world of coaching, because you do so many things, but you actually call yourself a trainer. And I know that you empower people. Can you unravel all of that? What do you do? So I do, I do two things. So I, I have a job job. Um, so I work in the defence industry and I am a programme manager, if you like, for a leadership programme. So we support leaders in defence to do the best job that they can by their people. And it's really important to just 
try and differentiate, I think, sometimes between what management is and what leadership is. So management is very transactional. It's about how you get people to do what you want them to do when you want them to do it. Leadership is more about inspiration and passion and generally cultivates more loyalty and cultivates a, a, a nicer working environment. Um, yes, because leadership is, you know, when you turn around to somebody and go, you know, we need five of us to go over the top, probably not coming back. You're all with me. And they all go, as opposed to just going, two o'clock on Tuesday, I need everyone to return the whatever. Yeah, I'm going to hold this gun to your head until you go over the top. Yes. <laughs> so, Either they're going to shoot you or I am. <laughs> absolutely. So obviously you work with those those sorts of people on a daily basis. So those are the skills that you then take out and train other people as a coach to do in their own businesses, isn't it? Yes. So I work in two different ways. One, I work with organisations to support them to create a more diverse leadership. So I spend a lot of my time working with women. Mm-hmm. And then the other thing that I do is work particularly with women a lot of the time to support them and empower them to step into a leadership role at a higher level than they perhaps might believe they can achieve at first. Yes, because it is it is that there is a very well-known sort of statistic, isn't there, that when apply, looking at a job application, a girl will go, oh, I've only got two of the five things needed. Uh, I can't apply for that until I've got the skills. Whereas the chap will go, oh, look, that's a job made for me. I've got two of those skills already. Yeah, so men generally, 90%, women is, it's between 80 and 90% that they apply for a job. And they have to tick off all of their essentials and most of the desirables before they'll even consider applying. Men, it's between 20 and 35%. That's quite a difference. It's a huge difference. And it says volumes about, you know, confidence and, you know, the different ways that that men and women interact with employment and, and with sort of taking up space within leadership and within sort of senior management. And of course, taking up space, that's really important because of course, you know, most of us working in in the non-corporate world are solopreneurs or we are CEOs of small empires. And actually, all those skills you were just talking about are absolutely essential, aren't they? Because you've got to fill the space and you've got to interact with other people and you've got to feed off all your remote workers. And then if you're on property, then you've got to work with the estate agents and the solicitors. And actually, that's a lot of skills. And to be good at it, you've got to be really confident and break through your perceptions of what you can and can't do. Yeah. And I'd say from a property point of view as well, particularly if you're going to go into sort of buy to let and you've you've, you've got quite a, a large amount of lets that you manage, at various points in your day, you're going to be dealing with either people that you're buying property from, you could be dealing with your contractors, you could be dealing with your builders. So the communication skills that you're going to need are going to vary quite significantly. And what you are trying to do essentially is get all of those people to pull in your direction, which is very much you know, what leadership is, it is trying to get a variety of people to pull in the direction that you want them to through influence rather than through you know, beating them over the head with a stick. Yes, because that never gets you anywhere. But unfortunately, I... no, it's, it's frowned upon. <laughs> <laughs> but a lot of people I don't try it on occasion. <laughs> it's, it's frowned upon. Yeah. Um, but I think that that is is something that people find very difficult. And one of the things I noticed through going through your social media and everything is that and is a very much a favourite word of yours rather than or. 
No, we're um, not allowed to say all. No. And could you explain the difference, really? Because you know, people are scared about bolting on things and learning new skills. They think it's got to be an either or. No. So in my experience, great leaders are people who remain curious. They are prepared to constantly learn. And I think a lot of us base our particularly if we've gone down sort of the entrepreneurial route quite early on in our careers, you know, learning doesn't always have a particularly good um, resonance for us. It it smacks of school and, you know, people who generally work well in an entrepreneurial space don't always particularly work well in an environment like school where we're trying to get people to do what we want them to do when we want them to do it. Um, but that's probably a conversation for a different time. So, so there's, there's sort of a, you come up against a bit of a brick wall, I think, sometimes when it comes to learning and, and maintaining curiosity. But learning really, at its very essence, is just about being open to taking in more information. Now, I don't know anyone who is a solopreneur or an entrepreneur who is not constantly taking on additional information. If you think about the way that text changed, if you think about things like, podcasting now versus sort of five years ago when it it hardly ever happened, blogging versus blogging. You know, we're constantly changing in terms of technology and a great entrepreneur and a great business leader will constantly be be taking that on. So they're going to be doing the and. Um, The reason in particular and is important for me rather than the or is because for a long time women have been told you can't do that or. So if you think about, you know, 400 years ago, women could not take up space or they got accused of being a witch and generally got burnt at the stake. And if they didn't, they got ducked in a river until they died anyway. Yeah, both those um, options aren't good. No, not not brilliant. You know, if you look back at the 1950s, you could go to work, but only until you could have a career or you could have a husband and children. Because at the point at which you decided you were going to have a husband and children, chances were you needed to stop working. Well, actually, as a teaching profession, you were obliged to resign. Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm. Now, I do want to caveat that with working women have always been working women. This idea that women have you know, not worked until the 1950s is ridiculous. In the 1800s, we had women who were scullery maids who maintained their position as a scullery maid, despite the fact that they had seven kids at home and a husband that they had to look after. But their lives weren't particularly great. And, you know, women have been told things like, you know, you can be beautiful or you can be old and wise. Uh, you can't be both. <laughs> and I just think we need to get over this idea that that you can be one thing or another. You can be a businesswoman and a great mother. You can be a businessman and be incredibly compassionate and empathetic. You don't have to be this alpha male, you know, balls to the wall for want of a better way of putting it. You you know, you can be an and, you don't have to be an or. We're no longer in a position where you need to essentially be one thing or another. And of course, that works really well for entrepreneurs because they can fit their work around their children. And and this is something that's been that's almost been created since the use of the internet. So you can I mean even doing things like webinars now, you can book onto them and then do the replay. Whereas you know, a couple of years ago, if you weren't able to do it at three o'clock when you're picking up your children, you'd miss the slot. Things have changed dramatically. And we are getting much better as well, Rachel, around you know, we're not there yet, but we are getting much better. So in in my job as well as in my 
in my sort of coaching, if I'm working with a woman who does have uh, children and she has caring responsibilities or a man for that matter, then I will do what I can to be flexible around them and make sure that the that what I'm providing meets their needs. And businesses are getting much better at that as well. There's still a way to go. I'm not going to say that everyone's wonderful at it. And obviously we're sort of seeing a bit of a kickback against flexible working at the moment, but we are getting we're getting there. Absolutely. And so some of the things that, we, you know, I would notice particularly when we because we, for those of you who don't know, we met in Manchester at a conference and sadly we had to keep stop talking to actually listen to what was going on on the stage, didn't we? Or we, we would have chatted away all day, really. We would. <laughs> And one of the things that I was very keen to hear about is that you you do deal with women who are in a predominantly male-oriented industry okay. where, you know, you've got to be strong, you've got to be powerful. You look at the average serviceman and they stand on a tripod. They've got their legs sometimes are so far apart, you know, you know, they're taking up huge amounts of space. We, for instance, don't stand that way. We don't think that way. And how does a woman who has perhaps worked in corporate or is starting up for themselves, how do they deal with the steamroller man who just keeps talking at them, regardless of the fact they're making all the signals that they'd like to butt in but can't be heard? How do women make their voices heard in those instances? So I had to really think about how I would answer this because I know how I would do it because I've spent a long time working in in an industry where I I am a minority and I'm also not a wallflower and never have been and also I grew up with military parents so uh, you know I've I've had a considerable amount of training (laughs) and I wanted to be able to answer it both from the point of view of somebody like me but also from somebody who was perhaps slightly quieter slightly more retiring and was slightly more intimidated by that kind of environment. Yes. So I'll start off with with me. The way that I would generally do it is I would say, thank you very much for mansplaining that to me. If you could let me get a word in edgeways. And then I would pause. Because what generally happens with silence is people get very uncomfortable. If you think about when you're in a in a room and you drop something on the floor and it goes very, very quiet because somebody said something and you think, what, what, what's that? And that works very, very well, I have to say, uh, nine times out of 10. For somebody who is perhaps quieter and less comfortable with that kind of thing, there are a couple of things that you can do. So the first thing is you have to consider your own confidence, what you are prepared to accept and what you're not prepared to accept. So before you go into a meeting with somebody that you know is like that, a lot of it is about grounding yourself in your own authority. You know your stuff, I'm assuming, because you're doing the kind of work that you're doing. So it's about really, really boosting your confidence. I know my stuff. I I know what I'm talking about. Really boosting that confidence and grounding yourself in your authority. Then once you're in that meeting, if you can and you're comfortable to do so, make sure that you've got somebody with you who is essentially an ally. Right. Because we all do better when we've got somebody with us who, who you know, just makes you feel that little bit more comfortable um, until you've found your voice. So that's, that's always quite helpful. The other thing is, again, there is a lot of power in silence. So when he does stop talking, being very, very quiet for that five seconds will draw the eye to you. And then once you've got that attention, that is when you say, thank you very much for your feedback. And there's a couple of different ways that you can respond to this. Now, if he's repeating something that you have already said. Which is a trait. <laughs> which is a trait. 
What, there are a couple of things that you can do, but one of the ones that I wrote down yesterday when I was thinking about this is you could say something along the lines of, thanks, but Mike, for backing up my original suggestion. So what you are doing is you're saying, I acknowledge what you've said, but it is a repetition of what I have already said. And what you're doing is you're very firmly putting him in his place, but you're doing it in a way that is potentially more comfortable for somebody who is slightly less confident in using their voice. The other thing that you can do is you get a blocker. So you get you get your friend, or whoever's with you, your ally, to cough or to do something, to drop something. And then in the moment that that's dropped, where the focus is on that other individual, that is when you step in. So there are lots of techniques that you can employ. It depends on what you're comfortable with. For someone like me, and Rachel, to be fair, for somebody <laughs> like you, yes. you just say, Mike, shut up for a second. Let me finish. And then you do what you're doing. And in 90% of the circumstances of the men that I've worked with, they go, bloody hell, sorry, sorry, sorry about that. Because they genuinely don't know that they're doing it. Yes. There is very few men, very few. I think I think sometimes this idea of toxic masculinity, they get we get a bit of a bad rap, I think, when it comes to talking about men. Very few men that I have worked with in defense, in, in these very male-dominated roles, ever intentionally talk over somebody or or try and make a woman look small because they're an ass. Most of the time, it is genuinely not intended. Yeah, sometimes they won't realise that you haven't spoken. So, you know, that classic sweeping around the room at the last minute going, um, all, all happy? And that's if you've, you've got to be then, if you want to speak, you've got to get in there very quickly. Yeah. But it is probably, as you say, because they haven't sort of, and I, my sister and I were talking about this, and she said she'd been speaking to a group of CEOs in her work line who were complaining about Zoom. And of course, we do, you know, entrepreneurs do a lot of work on Zoom. And he was saying, how do I, you know, I've discovered that on Zoom, you know, short of having a little paddle that you can pop up, which says, I'm going to be in control of this. You, if I if I want to speak, you must all be quiet. The talking stick. Yeah. The talking stick. He said, you know, I've discovered that what I have to do is just keep talking, lower my voice right down, and then everyone else goes silent because men have this resonating sound, which we girlies don't. We get triller and triller uh, as we get louder and louder. And he'd never thought that it was the possibility that actually we, we couldn't do the same. So mm. I think that it is something that if if particularly entrepreneurs are working on their own and they're finding things aren't going quite according to plan because they keep being overlooked or people don't listen to them. They're going to have to change their mindset about how they are going to put some of these ideas into practice, aren't they? Because otherwise you're not going to work. The other thing that I was thinking about is if this is just not who you are, if you are incredibly uncomfortable in an environment where you do have to speak out, then you need to make sure that you are employing somebody who you are confident can do it for you. Yes. Because, you know, if you are a solopreneur and that is just not your thing, you're all about the, the technical aspect of a role, then you need to make sure that you are working alongside somebody who balances you out. Now, we don't tend to do that. None of us do. <laughs> what we tend to do is we tend to recruit in our own image. Oh, dear. It's a huge issue. It's an issue across leadership. It's an issue across senior management teams, across all areas of business. So what I would say is if, if you are a natural introvert who also sits in a quiet space because let's not forget somebody can be introverted and still be incredibly loud introversion is more about where you get your energy from yes rather than about how you expend it you need to make sure that you are finding somebody who provides that balance because without it you are you are 
setting yourself up to fail. Yes, because I mean, uh, that is one of the things that's very noticeable. Actually, property is full of introverts. Yeah. And we get some real, real introverts who, for instance, if they're uh, on a course or they're networking, can only do 10 minutes at a time and then they have to rush off and sort of recharge their batteries in a quiet corner. But it is a problem for introverts in that we keep putting ourselves into quite short and stressful situations. Whilst we're talking about uh, introverts, how do introverts network effectively? Have you got any tips for making us work better? Because I'm actually, it's always a joke, I'm very noisy, but I I'm, can go for weeks without speaking to people. Yeah, I think that is the idea that we often have with introverts, that they are the little mouse that sits in the corner. And that, that isn't what introversion is. Introversion is, is about where you take your energy from. And the way that you can quite often figure out if you're an introvert or an extrovert is if you're in a room of 100 people for an hour, if at the end of that hour you walk out and you think, I need to lay down for a week, chances are you're an introvert. <laughs> if you walk out of that room and you are pumped and you are ready to go, you're an extrovert. Um <laughs> say that there's a, I mean there's a bit more complexity to it but there's a really good way absolutely but of course you know us solopreneurs I mean one of the things most people have to do when they start off because they haven't got a wide reach of people is go to networking meetings to actually find investors to sell themselves I mean it's it's a form of torture yeah any any tips on getting around that yeah so there's a couple of different ways I wrote this down again because I, I knew that we were going to have these kind of conversations so I wanted to make sure that I had as much as possible so The first thing is understand what your own expectations, values and boundaries are. Right. What are you prepared to accept? What are you not prepared to accept? If you're going into a networking meeting, make sure that you're really clear on how long you can be there until you've lost the rest of your day because you're not going to be able to cope. Things like alcohol. Some people find it incredibly helpful to have a single glass of champagne because, you know, that is going to bolster a little bit of courage. Some people have a single glass of champagne and think, I'd like to go home and have sleep now. So, (laughs) you know, understanding what your own boundaries, your own values, your own expectations are really important. The other things that I wrote down are you need to practice what makes you uncomfortable. Oh. And that is... A piece of advice I give to people pretty much on a daily basis, and it, I normally get the response that you, that you just gave me. <laughs> oh, I don't like the sound of that. No. Uh, <laughs> the way that you get comfortable with the uncomfortable is by doing it. Right. That's the bottom line. So once you know what your values, your expectations, and your boundaries are, and you need to be really clear on those in your head, then you need to just keep on trying it. If you think about how you learn to swim, no human being in the world wants to be dumped off the edge of a boat in the middle of the sea. It's uncomfortable. It's not very nice. However, the way that you make sure you survive is by keeping on doing it until you're capable of swimming. (laughs) That's the bottom line. So there is an element of that. You have to practice what makes you uncomfortable. Now, there are ways to do that where you are in a safe space. So there is something of importance around psychological safety. So if you are naturally an introvert and you're very uncomfortable in those kind of environments, then putting yourself into a room of a thousand other people where everyone's very shouty and very extrovert is going to be horrendous and you're never going to want to do it again. So a lot of it might be, okay, I'm going to go into the community and I'm going to network with five people in this local area because it's quite small. I know that the people in there are quite quiet. They're all into property. The chances are that they're all very similar to me. And then you essentially, you you 
you raise the temperature with each sort of different interaction you do. So that, that's another piece of advice I'd do. Another one, and Simon Sinek says this in one of his interviews that he does, and I love it. It's a great piece of advice. He says, I'm an introvert and I like cheese. So when I go to these networking events, I make sure I stand next to an extrovert who's at the cheese table <laughs> because I'm standing with somebody who's doing a lot of the networking, who's very involved, who's very chatty. I get some of the interaction because I'm standing next to the extrovert and, you know, we're we're, we're bonding and we're chatting, but actually he's doing all of the real hard work. I'm sort of cultivating the relationship, but without having to expend a great deal of energy and I get to stand and eat cheese. Well, um, I, that's, that's, that's a great bit of advice. It is. And funny off, as you were saying that, I thought that that's hilarious because that is actually what I used to do. But of course, unfortunately, property networking there's very rarely any cheese. <laughs> and, and that's because, I mean, you know, even you know, I and a lot of other people will, when we've got newbies who are going, how do I do this? You go, right, well, you need your pitch and you stand at the front of the room and you do the, this is who I am. This is what I do. If you're interested, I'm at the back of the thing. Now, after a while, I just got to absolutely loathe that. But of course, I still needed to be able to acquire the cards and the interaction with everyone else. So I used to find the noisiest person in the room who was going, you know, this is what I do, blah, blah, blah. And around them it would be a cluster of acolytes all lapping up their every word. But of course, you could only actually interact with one at a time. So that's when I picked the others off, a bit like a shark circling and would exchange cards quietly because he'd done all the ice breaking because that's what we were all there for so yes that's a, that is I shall look at it in a different light now <laughs> definitely go and stand by the cheese table <laughs> I think it's also worth saying as well you're absolutely right you can only ever have one conversation at a time unless you're standing at the front of a stage and you're, and you're doing a speech and chances are if you are somebody who's very uncomfortable in that kind of social environment you're going to not enjoy that anyway However, I think it's really important to say that one of the best ways to build a business is by developing actually some quite sincere relationships where you're not there to, to use the other person. You are there in order to support each other. You are there to create opportunities for each other. And people who tend to sit on the extroversion side of the scale are actually very good at cultivating very genuine and very sincere relationships. And the result of that is that they have a great deal of longevity within their business because they have, you know, a huge black book of, of yes. names of people who they have genuinely cultivated these relationships with. So I'd say it's really important not to underestimate how important relationship building is as opposed to networking, because the two sit on very different ends of the scale. Yes, because you can do very well picking up five, because you know, there is a chain of thought that you go into a room and you get you need everybody's cards. If you've come away with less than 100 cards, you've somehow failed. Whereas I always knew that I could only deal with five in a week and I would mm. get my five and then I'd be able to ring them up. I'd be able to go and have meet them, have a coffee or whatever, and, and then interact with them for several weeks and decide, is this going anywhere or not? Whereas frankly a pile of 100 cards you know a bit of you goes woo got 100 cards but you don't do anything with them 
Yeah, it is about the after part, uh, the after party. Yeah, and if you think about the number of people who were in the room that you and I were in when we first oh, met yes. in Manchester, there was a huge number of women in that room. And actually, of all of them, I think I probably still speak to three, and you're one of them. And it is because we created a genuine connection. Yes, and we connected over our history and our interests. Now. What that has meant is from a business point of view, you and I are able to then move forward and and work together. However, none of the conversation pretty much that you and I had in those three days that we were together had anything to do with business. No, it didn't. No. So that's very true. And I think people overlook that. They forget that it's not having a connection with people and working with them at the beginning. It's all about finding common ground because you're, it's a bit like two dogs sniffing each other, isn't it? You've just got to see whether or not you can, you know, get along really. Yeah, I did have to say, Rachel, please stop sniffing me. Very uncomfortable. We're in public. (laughs) Absolutely. But that, you know, that the whole thing also leads into the fact that many people who come to property have had a corporate life before. And that is a problem because, you know, you, you leave school and you get into a job and you go up the ladder and you get this cloak of corporate look and everything else and you take it mm. off and then you've lost everything you're no longer whatever it is you were how how do people close themselves in something else how do we how do we duplicate that identity frankly without coming over as a pompous git or a seriously aggressive entitled person <laughs> i mean i think it i think it depends i know an awful lot of people particularly if you've come towards the end of your corporate career because perhaps you're reaching retirement and yep. you've decided that, that you want to move into property because it's a good way of, of spending hard-earned pension money. Mm-hmm. And a lot of them will have dressed in a certain way, behaved in a certain way, because for the last 40, 50, 60 years, that's what they've been told to do. And suddenly they get a freedom and they turn up wearing bright pink chinos and, and you know, a cravat and a boater. And you think, who who the hell are you? You are not the person that I meant four <laughs> weeks ago in, in a, in a grey suit and a, a navy blue tie. So you get some people who could go very much the other way. It's a tricky one. I think a lot of that is to do with how you see yourself as an individual. We see it a lot with people who leave the military who have always had a particular haircut you know, who have always been told how to dress and particularly you see it with with, uh, army officers because they don't just have a dress code when they're in their uniform. They also kind of have a dress code when they're in the mess. It's it's chinos and a blazer and, you know, there is a Labrador. Um, Uh, (laughs) (laughs) I'm next door to one of those. (laughs) This morning he's actually in lime green chinos and and a a very loud bead belt and has two black Labradors at his feet, yes. They nailed it. Um, so, so they have, uh, you know, and if you've always had that, and if you're comfortable in that, then keep it. Because the chances are you've you've gone down that route because that is where you were comfortable initially anyway. If you've got to the end. So my dad left the Air Force a couple of years ago now, and he was one of the longest standing members of the Air Force at the time that he left. And he still you know, wears his hair very similarly to how he did when he was 17. Um, <laughs> because that's that's just how he's always done it. But what he does do is he doesn't shave every day. So God, I, I, very still, radical. it still yeah. surprises me that on the second day I see him, I'm like, oh, we've not had a shave. And he's like, I'm pushing the boat out. Um, <laughs> so it's about finding your, your own way of 
expressing yourself. And that will look different for everyone. I would say there is a huge amount of value, and I, I, I can hear people cringing before I even say it, in going and finding stylists. So there's a lot of stylists who sit on the internet now and, and are fantastic at providing advice and guidance. Now, if you're a woman, go into John Lewis, go into Harvey Nicks used to do it as well. And you can go and say, look, I need some advice around what kind of styles suit me. I mean, men can do it as well. They tend to do it less. But there's definitely something to be said for, you know, if you're really struggling to find how you want to express yourself outwardly, then by all means, get somebody to help you. Because let's face it, if you're going to buy a property, you don't do that by yourself, do you? No. And that's the funny thing, isn't it? Because actually, it's very important. We spend hours as you know entrepreneurs worrying about fonts and colour brandings and photo shoots. branding specialist. Yeah. You don't think twice about it, do you? You Just go, that's not my zone of genius. Off I go. So if you are someone who is struggling with how you present yourself to the world, oh, just go and just, as you say, find a stylist and say, give me a capsule wardrobe that I can wear to work. That may not be how you work at home. You might always be in the tattiest of jeans. But I mean, I was talking to someone in one of my accountability groups today, uh, day before yesterday, who said, I took your advice and I went into the estate agent and I was wearing my tweed jacket and I suddenly found that the managers were coming forward and talking to me. I said, you look as if you had money. Yeah. And there was nothing different about her herself or the attitude to what she was trying to do. It was how others were perceiving her. So it it was one of those funny things. I said, you know, we're all very fickle. We all do it. I'm afraid we should all love people for what they are. But until they've opened their mouths, you've, you've got nothing really to go on except what you can see. Yeah. It's your telephone voice as well. Yes. <laughs> Uh, mine stays roughly the same (laughs) so mine doesn't so I um I I am I think probably again growing up in the military and growing up in in lots of different places my accent changes depending on who I'm talking to oh right it's got me in trouble a couple of times because somebody's been like (laughs) 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 just lived in so many places I'm capable of picking up an accent quite quickly but it's I would say if you're really struggling with that self-expression then definitely go and hire somebody who is a professional to do it for you I would say I do I've always been quite conservative until probably the last four or five years since I had my daughter where I was just like no I don't I don't want to this is the out outwardly I am not expressing who I am inwardly and my mum even now looks at my you know my bright orange nails and my my hair that's often dyed bright orange or bright pink. She's like, I don't even know who you are. (laughs) But that is what makes me happy. Now, I do have to deal with the fallout from that. And that is that if I was going to go into an estate agent, the chances are the first thing they'd they'd consider when they looked at me might be very different than actually the impression that I want them to have. Yes. But what I would do then is I would take my custom to an environment that made me feel more comfortable. Yes. And also it's about making sure that you know that you have a barrier, a visual barrier, and you've got to get in there very quickly and reassure their fears so they overlook it. It becomes yes. become, You become blind to what you're looking at and all you're doing is hearing the message and knowing that that's what you're responding to. The only thing that I am going to caveat that with is I do have some concerns when it comes to things like that where the issue of the immediate stereotype being projected onto somebody Mm. puts someone at a disadvantage because they sit in a minority group. 
because the assumption is that they're, you know, they're gay or um, because they're black or because they're Asian. I do have issue around that. And I know that within various parts of a lot of industries that I work with, both in defence, and I know that you and I were talking about it within the property market, particularly outside of big cities and big towns, you do have that kind of element of stereotyping that is unhealthy and creates a bias that is not positive. And that is something that I would always work to change. But look, that's exactly what women experience. And we've got quite used to now being in the sphere. So, but you know, when, uh, you know, I remember growing up and seeing some of the acts changing and saying that women can do this and we'll get equal pay and all the rest of it. And, you know, how, how can that be? I mean, people are generally surprised that a woman could be paid the same amount for doing the same job. And so it, it, we've forgotten that. And it is just about making sure that if you see someone struggling and you know them, that you encourage them to just keep going and to overcome some of this. Because actually, there's a fantastic black farmer in Somerset who makes, for those who've never eaten his pork, <laughs> makes Exactly. <laughs> Fantastic sausages. And his brand is the Black Farmer. And, you know, he is very much in a minority, but he trades on it. And I have to say, if you've met him once, you never forget. And no. just and that is something I think we get so caught up in is sometimes forgetting that our differences can be the one thing that makes everyone remember you for a very good reason. And then you yeah. just you just clean up, frankly, if everyone remembers you. Yeah. I was lucky in Stoke, everyone remembered me because I, I was always known as the Duchess because, you know, I was, there were very few of us who sounded as if they'd swallowed a punnet of plums. But you know, that's the great thing. If you've got something different about you, make sure it's it's memorable. You know? yeah. pink, pink hair would be a great advantage, frankly. In, in <laughs> the prop- I have a friend who has a, a pink streak and quite happily goes to the palace. She's remembered everywhere because there aren't many people in Buckingham Palace with pink hair. <laughs> No, and, and I would say that even, you know, when I've been delivering training to, on occasion, very senior members of the military, you do, you do get the sort of the initial reaction of, oh God. Um, but what that allows me to do then is to talk very much around leadership and what leadership looks like. And actually the fact that a leader does not look like somebody who wears a uniform and who dresses in a particular way a leader is somebody who can influence and who can persuade people as to their point of view and as to their vision and that very rarely is based on how somebody looks that is to do with passion and intention and value and vision and actually being able to trade off the fact that I look different to how somebody might assume that a leadership coach looks is really important. And let's face it, the more people that we get into senior leadership and into owning their own business who look different and behave different and have different values and are able to bring different thoughts and opinions to the table, that's brilliant because that then creates this diversity and this diversity of thought where we're pulling a society into the future as we speak. I'm I'm all about you know, the more the more you can can bring diversity and particularly of thought 
and curiosity into business and, and organisational change, the better the world will be. Well, I have to say thank you very much for that because that, that's a brilliant summing up of, of what we've been talking about and, and what you stand for. And the fact, actually, property is an incredibly diverse group of people. And I, I think it'd be hard pushed to, you know, to find a more eclectic band of people, frankly, across the, in any networking group. So thank you very much for that. That's been absolutely fantastic. Now, how do people find you? I've, I, you know, where on social media? will they find you so normally on instagram and uh, nicole barbara consulting great hints and tips on leadership but also on finding your voice and making sure that you can empower yourself and empower others i also have a website that is in the middle of being built as oh, we speak Very marvelous lady didn't do it myself i got somebody else to do it for me because they are the specialist not me <laughs> so yeah instagram always instagram i love a picture i'm very visual so yeah fantastic thank you very much that and, and we'll make sure for those who are listening that your details are in the show notes but thank you very much it was an eye-opening and, and i'm sure people will go and have a, a good look to find out more about you so thank you very much you are more than welcome and it's been a pleasure thank you for having me my word that was fun i hope you enjoyed it as much as i did And I know I'm going to go back and listen to it with fresh ears and scribble down all sorts of nuggets that I know I want to implement in my business. Thank you for listening to the Property Solopreneur podcast with Rachel Troughton. If you want to create a professional and profitable property business, download my property business checklist now at racheltroughton.com slash checklist.